Good morning. Good morning. This is your host Rashu Mantian, and this is the podcast, the Sage and the Guide, episode number six. And today I wish to talk about fear, fear of things in general, and fear of public speaking. So maybe I'll break this up into two sessions. So let's first talk about fear in its generic form. Where does it root from? What are its causes? What exactly it is, and how to manage it and how to overcome it. Fear, as many of my friends in the speaking, training and coaching industry claim, is false evidence appearing real. And some of us suggest, forget everything and run. Well, besides the humor around fear, fear, according to evolution psychologists, roots in our primitive past when we as people were hunters and we were also the hunted that means our lives were in constant danger our lives were threatened by beasts of prey and by circumstances and by natural causes that we could almost die suddenly and the thing that protected us from dying suddenly in those days was to be part of a group, to be part of a tribe, to be part of a team that hunted together, thus protected itself from larger bees and thus were able to manage with the dangers of that time. Yet, when alone, when out of the tribe, when not together with a large team, we were exposed a lot more to danger. And the fear of those days, the fear of those moments, the fear of being outside the tribe and sometimes being rejected by the tribe still exists in the minds and the brains of modern man. It exists in what the evolution psychologists claim to be our primitive brain. Now, talking about the, the brain, there was a study done by a certain Dr. Paul McLean in the year 1962, and then he wrote a book about it in 1990. The book was called The Triune Brain. So looking at fear from a neurological perspective, a neuroscientific perspective, according to Dr. Paul McLean, our brain is made up of three layers the innermost, deepest layer, known as the primitive brain, sometimes known as the reptilian brain, sometimes labeled by me as the reactive brain. It is the seat of our unconscious thinking, of our unconscious systems, heartbeat, pulse, sweat, and it is also the seat of fight, fright, or flight you know, the three Fs. That's the primitive brain, that's the reactive brain, the seat of fright and fear. Layer number two, about that, as we evolved as human beings over the millennia, is the limbic brain, is the brain which has care, kindness, compassion, and romance to it. And that's when we lived, when we moved from being hunters to farmers and it evolved during that period and I'd like to call it the romantic brain. Level number three of 
our brain, according to Dr. Paul McLean, is our rational brain, our neocortex and prefrontal, our thinking brain, our logical brain, where there is memory, there's language, there's math, there's reasoning, there's geometry, there's facts, figures, analysis, etc. And I like to call that our reasoning brain. So three layers of the brain. The innermost, primitive brain, reptilian brain, the seat of the amygdala, the seat of emotions, the seat of fear. Reactive, romantic, and reasoning brain. So fear lives in the innermost brain. And of course, we have to rationalize with it to overcome it. Dr. Marie Curie in the 19th century claimed that fear is the cause of ignorance. Meaning to say that if we didn't know things, if we didn't understand things, if there was a certain amount of ambiguity to our surroundings, then we were afraid because it was uncertain. Quite kind of related to the evolution psychologist. And she claimed the moment we get rid of that ignorance, the moment we learn, educate, understand, then the fear begins to dissipate, disappear. That's Dr. Murray Curie. Going back 2,000 years, Emperor Marcus Aurelius, the father of Stoicism, maybe not the father, the uncle of Stoicism, claimed uh, that fear is also of ignorance and the way to accept fear according to him was to accept things as they are, to willingly accept things that they are then to be extremely objective about things as they are right now, to accept things as they are right now, to be extremely objective about things as they are right now, and to be extremely unselfish in our behavior and actions right now, at this very moment. That was, more, uh, that was Marcus Aurelius from the school of Stoicism. So that is the background and what are the manifestations of this fear or any kind of fear? The manifestations are nausea, nervousness, anxiety, cold sweat, increased heart rate, you know, blood pumping away, pulse rate and shortness of breath, dryness of mouth, etc, etc. These are all manifestations, you know, nervous, shakes, you name it, the jitters, you name it, you can have them. So, today's times, there are no grizzly bears, there are no giant animals, there is no saber-toothed tiger that is chasing us. The fears that are modern, the fears of, fears of snakes, spiders, rats, heights, fire, electricity, water, traffic, etc. Now these are, you know, attached to a certain fact of life. But bigger than that are fears of abstract things that are non-tangible. Fear of losing our health, you know, becoming unhealthy over time. 
That's a big fear amongst many people. Fear of losing our wealth, losing all our money or the ability to earn money or going broke. That's a big fear. In fact, I think that might be my fear too. The third thing is fear of losing social relationships or being unsuccessful socially in relationships, not having someone to love or to be loved or a family or friends or a community to depend on. So these, in my opinion, are modern day fears. And there's a lot of uh, chutzpah around these, like this might happen and that might happen and this might happen and that might happen. And so what we'll do is talk about how to manage these three fears, health, wealth, and relationship-oriented fears, looking at three different schools of thought and how to approach these fears. The first school of thought, which I slightly mentioned a while ago, was the school of stoicism. That means being able to bear, that being able to kind of be humble and smart and to be rational and wise about things, the school of stoicism, to be like the Greek, great Greek thinkers, the Roman thinkers, Greek, sorry, not Roman. The school of stoicism claims that when we begin to be afraid of something, you know, doubtful, suspicious, and then bitter, and then angry, and fearful, etc., when we begin, when we suspect something that this will cause us trouble in health, wealth, and relationship, we begin to, we begin to obsess about it. And the more we obsess about it, the larger and the more ominous it becomes. So, starting with a little reptile in our mind, when we spend time on it, when we feed it, you know, it becomes a dragon. It becomes huge. So, their solution, their way of deflating this dragon or diffusing this demon is by asking this question. Yet, before asking this question, let's say, let's take my fear of losing wealth or losing the ability to be productive or going broke. So, the school of Stoicism says, first, rank your fear as it is now. From one to 10, 10 being the strongest, it being the most powerful fear. So there you go, I'm seven. And I'm assuming friends of mine might be six, seven, eight, five, four, eight, and depending, you know, depending on how their thought process. So I'm a seven, afraid of the future, you know. Then they say, ask yourself this question. What is the worst thing that can happen if you lose the ability to make money, if you lose your world, if you go broke? Well, in my case, the worst thing that can happen is that I might not be able to live in the comfortable surround, surroundings that I live in now. I might have to move into a smaller house, a smaller home, an apartment, or maybe into a little wooden cottage in the woods or by the mountains. The kind of clothes I buy, the kind of shoes I wear, and the kind of places I dine in, I might not be able to afford them. Or the health insurance, I might not be able to afford this. 
I might have to live on much simpler food. I might have to live off, you know, what you pick up in groceries or what I might have to pick up from the woods and the jungles, the herbs, etc. No, that's the worst thing. The third thing that could happen if I go broke is that society, friends of mine, clubs, communities, parts, groups that I'm part of might ostracize me and I won't be able to participate with them. That's what can happen. After I answer these questions thoroughly, honestly, and then I give it some time. After I give it some time, I look at the same fear, my fear of losing wealth, going broke. How do I rank it? Chances are I will rank it at three or four. Thus, my fear of that losing wealth will kind of deflate, diffuse and become lesser. That's the first way on how to manage your fear. Yeah, so that's the first way to manage fear from the school of Stoicism. The second way to manage fear, to overcome fear, to face your fear, is from the school of positivity, the school of positive thinking. And what it claims is that when you are venturing into something new, you want to put up a business, you want to build a bridge, you want to create a brand new project, you want to design something, and it's a long journey and it'll take time, money and effort. The school of positivity claims that focus on succeeding. That means trust that you will win and succeed at whatever you're doing. That's the kind of focus, that's the kind of mindset you can start with whatever you're entering into. It could be improving your own health, improving your own uh, status, your own wealth conditions, improving your social relationships. Think positive, move forward with a focus and a mindset of success. What the school of positivity claims is that we are by default drawn to thinking negatively with caution, thinking of protecting ourselves, thinking of not losing rather than winning, you know. So because not losing, I know this from a fact, is that our brains does not accept negation. So when you say don't lose, it conjures up a picture of having lost and then it has to delete it. That's a challenge for the brain. Uh, to support this content, uh, let me share with you a context. Several years ago, decades ago, when I went into the business of speaking, training and coaching, I had all of the resources except the knowledge and the experience in the business. So I wanted to partner with someone. I wanted to buy a franchise or, you know, have a knowledge partner. I looked around the world, found many, connected with one from Canada. And I'll tell you that name because it's 25 years ago and I don't really know if they're around. A company called Achievers Unlimited or Achievers LLC or Achievers International. They were in the same business as the business I wanted to get into that time. 
spoke to them, etc., sent them emails back and forth. And one day, the head of the company says, I'm going to call you. He calls me and he says, Hi, Raju. He says, Let's begin. He says, By talking about the deal breakers in our possible partnership. And that time I didn't quite get it. What did he mean by deal breakers? I wasn't familiar with the phrase deal breakers. He said, what could go wrong in our partnership? What might not work? He said, I like to start with that. It goes, the gentleman from Canada. And I says, well, the first thing that might not work is that I'm inexperienced. And he goes, yeah, that's a big one, he said. You know, that really is a tough one. What's the other thing that can happen? He goes, and I go, well, because of the fact that I don't have experience, it may take me much longer and it might be much more challenging to build the business. It may take time, you know, I might not be able to build it at all. He goes, yeah, that's a big one. And what's the third one? He goes, and I go, well, if we go into this partnership and time passes by six months, a year or two years later, we lose time and money. We lose a lot of money. He goes, yeah, that's a big one too. Three things, he said, those are three deal breakers. And we ended up concluding the conversation by not partnering. And I was left dumbfounded. What the heck? You know? But that was him. His focus was on what can go wrong. And the School of Positivity recommends that if you want to avoid such kinds of disasters and fears, fear-driven disasters, focus on the positive, focus on the process, and leave the rest to other circumstances. That's the second one. And the third one, uh, very recently acquired by yours truly, learned by me, comes from Eastern philosophies of Buddhism and Taoism, etc. And they claim that to overcome your, no, they claim, sorry, they claim that the world is in a constant state of flux. Economies, ecologies, environments, relationships, they are in a constant state of flux. Nothing is stable. Everything is uncertain. Everything is ambiguous. It's a VUCA VUCA world, claim them. I mean, they didn't claim it now. They've been claiming it for hundreds of years. And in their language, they call it the impermanence of life. In their real native language, they call it anichka. Anichka. That means you cannot put a finger on what will happen tomorrow. Not in tomorrow, but you cannot put a finger on certainty. You cannot press it down and hold it steady. That's their claim. And through that claim, they say, do all you have to do in the now. Do it right. Do it well. Have faith in it. You know, don't let your fears overcome you. Don't blow them out of proportion. Do your thing, but do not, do not obsess and fixate upon the end result or the outcome. Whenever you reach the end of your journey, you've done everything you can, and the outcome is slightly different, don't be sad, don't be happy. That's what they claim. And the books, the good books, not the good book, but several good books on the subject matter, 
share a little Zen story and let me share that with you. Story about a farmer somewhere in the Far East who had a horse to plow his farm. One day, this farmer's nice little strong horse runs away, leaves homes, you know, unannounced he becomes a bull, absent without official leave. And so the farmer's neighbors, etc., friends of his, say, tell him, his friends and neighbors tell him that what a sad thing it is that you lost your horse. You must be so sad. It's an unhappy thing. And the farmer's response to his friends and family and his, you know, people who had his community was, maybe so. His response to having lost a horse and being sad about it, his response was, maybe so. A few weeks later, the horse comes back, accompanied by three other female horses, mares. So this stallion of a horse brings back three girlfriends to the farm from the jungles. And then his friends, the farmer's friends, they claim, oh, that's such a happy situation. You're such a lucky man. You'll be happy forever. And the good farmer, he responds with the same response. He goes, maybe so. Months pass by, years pass by. One day the farmer's handsome young son is riding the stallion. The stallion stumbles and falls and breaks the back of the young man riding on him. And the young man is unable to walk and move about after that. The farmer's neighbors come back and they tell him, it's such a sorry thing, you must be so sad, it is so unhappy, a situation. And the farmer says, maybe so. Months go by, years go by, there's a war in the country and everybody in the province of the farmer, every young man gets drafted into the army to go and fight the enemy. The country loses the war, all the young men die on the battlefield, except the son of the farmer because he was never drafted. He stayed home because he couldn't move, he couldn't stand up. He was a young man, but he couldn't go. So the neighbors and the friends, they all come back to the farmer and claim and claim and declare that he is such a lucky man that he still has a son that's living well, they all lost a son each. And the farmer responds, maybe so. So there you go. That's the story on how not to fixate upon the outcome and just to trust life, trust that there will be change, trust that there will always be uncertainty, ambiguity, and, and impermanence. Anichka declaimed it. So these are uh, the facts behind fear, you know? and these are the three solutions from the school of Stoicism to deflate the, the demon, deflate the dragon, to, to focus on the process and stay positive, three, not to fixate on the out, outcome. And practicing this over time, your levels of fear may drop. You may become a healthier, a happier, and a much more successful sage and a guide and a leader of men. 
So there you go. I hope you enjoyed this uh, session on fear. And in the next episode, I'll continue talking about fear, but off stage fright. Fear as in public speaking in the next episode. I'm your host, Raju Mandian, and this has been episode number six of the podcast, The Sage and the Guide. Adios and Mabuhai. There you go. I hope you enjoyed this podcast and it was helpful to you. If it was, then the most helpful thing you can do is to leave your review of this podcast on iTunes and Spotify. Your reviews will keep this podcast going and serving others. It will also be great if you will share this podcast with your friends and family. And if you do need my help with your leadership development and public speaking skills, please do look me up at www.mantian.com and www.rajumantian.com. Adios and Mabuhai.